Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. This is Bill Press and Friends on the District Productive Network. In the sense of what's important and what's not, there's no better day to talk about that than the day that we have been, a day after we've been consumed and still are by Donald Trump's comments about flag burning. I mean, let's, can we all agree? This is nonsense, total nonsense. Look, so with all the serious problems and issues facing this country today, right, during this period of transition, like what is going on with ISIS? Like, what are we going to do about climate change? What are we going to do about opening up relations with Cuba? What are we going to do about health care when you've got the arch enemy of uh, universal health care in as a new HHS secretary? What are we going to do about public education when you have the arch enemy of public schools, Betty DeVos, in as a new education secretary? What's the Democratic Party going to do to rebuild itself? All of these major issues that we ought to be talking about in the media and among ourselves as Americans. And what are we talking about? We're talking about flag burning and whether or not somebody who burns the flag should go to jail for a year or pay a $100,000 fine or maybe even lose their citizenship. How the hell did we get sidetracked into this? You know what happened because Donald Trump tweeted about it yesterday and we found out that everybody's wondering, well, where did that tweet come? Where did that come from? You know, why all of a sudden are we talking about flag burning? And it turns out that there was this because there hasn't been any rash of flag burning lately uh, at any of these rallies. Well, it turns out that Fox News ran a story yesterday morning about 6:35 a.m. East Coast time about somewhere, somewhere, somehow, in some little rally, somebody had tried to burn an American flag. So Trump, obviously, up, sitting in bed in his jammies, sees this report, (laughs) picks up his phone, and then tweets out, and he tweets out, quote, nobody should be allowed to burn the American flag. If they do, there must be consequences. I'm surprised you could spell consequences. (laughs) Uh, Perhaps loss of citizenship or year in jail. And Trump puts that out. And you know what? It's like... The media treats it like the Pope has just spoken ex cathedra. The Pope has just put out a new proclamation, a new encyclical that this from now on is the word of God. No, it's not. It's some sleepy president-elect in bed who's got nothing better to do uh, and considers the presidency, by the way, as such a almost a joke that he 
doesn't care what he says or what he does any time of day on Twitter. He just throws it out there. And then we go gaga over it. It is nuts. We've got to stop this, friends. We have to stop it. It I don't know whether we will or not, but we have to. It's so funny how after he sent that tweet, that's all we saw on the cable news. Yeah, yesterday. it's all we saw. And it was either, oh, this is a distraction from the fact that he put in a guy who wants to dismantle Obamacare. And then I saw someone else said, oh, this is a no. way of just baiting protesters into burning no. the American flag. No, and, all of us was Trump. Yeah. He was just a grumpy old guy watching yeah. the news and just rattled off a tweet about it. Now, all of us do that, right? I sure. mean, we see something, we're like, oh, that's stupid. Right. But no, no, with Trump. And that becomes like the law of the land. <laughs> right. No, it's not, right? This government, this greatest country on earth, is not going to be run by 140 characters on Twitter. The response yesterday, interestingly enough, was all over the place. Uh, yeah, his uh, spokesperson, Jason Miller, went out and kind of said, agreed with his boss after he wants to keep his job. Sure. But there are a lot of Republicans who didn't. Uh, here was uh, Congressman, for example, Sean Duffy yesterday with Wolf Blitzer on CNN. I think the court is probably right that uh, we want to protect those people who want to protest and, and their right to actually demonstrate with uh, disgracing our flag, even though so many of us who love our country and love our flag um, object to it. I don't think we want to make this a legal issue. Yeah, it was it was decided by the Supreme Court in uh, 1989, I guess it was. No, 1969, in fact, nice. uh, the court ruled that uh, as part of our freedom of expression, as part of our part of our First Amendment, um, we uh, that the flag burning of the flag is allowed as a form of expression that all of us find distasteful. And that's the thing. You know, the First Amendment covers freedom of speech, even if we do find it distasteful. Surprising to me, Mitch McConnell, a in, Republican leader of the Senate, even agrees. In this country, we have a long tradition of respecting unpleasant <laughs> speech. I happen to support the Supreme Court's uh, decision on that matter. Uh, an issue on which Mitch McConnell and Barack Obama agree, as Press Secretary Josh Ernest told us at the briefing yesterday. Many Americans, the vast majority of Americans, myself included, find the burning of the flag offensive. But we have a responsibility as a country to carefully protect our rights that are enshrined in the Constitution. Well said, Josh Ernest. Uh, and our good friend Tim Mack, yeah, you've seen Tim several times on the show, uh, he was on the Hill yesterday and he cornered uh, Democratic Senator Joe Manchin from West Virginia uh, and ask him what he thought about uh, Donald Trump's flag burning statement. What do you make of this uh, proposal by the president-elect to uh, ban flag burning and make that uh, make constitutional? Well, the bottom line on flag burning is you know, it's a First Amendment right, but you do it in front of me. I want to beat the hell out of you. OK, <laughs> OK, I want to beat the hell out of you. OK, by the way, thanks to Tim Mack. Uh, we uh, and thanks to the Bill Press Show. You won't hear that audio anywhere else. That is an exclusive nice. Bill Press Show audio. Uh, our, our, our friend Tim Frank. Uh, Tim Mack uh, contacted us after the interview and uh, sent us that uh, exclusive uh, audio for which we uh, thanked him. Uh, but Joe Manchin is saying, I think what a lot of Americans feel, and i got to tell you, you might remember, I, I've told you this story before. When I was Democratic State Chair of California one time, I was uh, at a big rally on some campus, I forget what campus, and uh, Art Torres, who was a candidate at the time for... 
state controller, I believe. He's the guy that succeeded me. I appointed as the head of the Democratic Party in California when I left to come back and do Crossfire. And we were standing there. I believe it was a rally for uh, Kathleen Brown when she was running for governor. Huge crowd of students. And we're standing there. And suddenly, right in front of us, right in front of the (laughs) stage, we noticed there was a guy holding up the American flag and had his lighter. And he's trying to set it on fire. Pissed me off. I got to tell you, Art Torres and I jumped off the stage and tackled the guy. I mean, that's what we thought about this burning of the flag, right? Yeah, he has a right to do it. But as Joe Manchin said, I've got a right to beat the hell out of him, too, if you see somebody trying to do it. The point is, it is a protected form of free speech under the Constitution uh, as as ruled by the Supreme Court. But here again, the issue is not whether or not it's allowed under the First Amendment. The issue really is, why did we get detracted, distracted, thrown off the rails by Donald Trump just because he tweeted about it. Does it mean that Donald Trump intends to do anything about it? No. Do we expect the new administration, the new president, to send some law up to Congress, some bill up to Congress, which would make flag burning unconstitutional, uh, punishable by a year in jail or losing one citizenship? No. It doesn't mean he's going to do anything about it. We've got to get that into our heads, I think that the tweet storm of Donald Trump is going to continue the way it did during the primary, the way it did during the general, the way he's continued to do it during this transition. On any subject that pops into his head at any time, and, you know, the best, what we've got to learn to do, I think, is ignore it. Ignore it. Yeah. Totally ignore it. It's, it's not going to get any better. It's not going to get any better. It, it proves that this is what we can expect from the Lincoln bedroom, Right is tweets every morning. And I think we're, we're learning, I hope we're learning, we've got to learn to distinguish, distinguish Donald Trump's meaningless tweets from official presidential statements. And I would hope that Donald Trump might learn that as the president-elect or the president of the United States, what you say is important And people do give your words, attach a lot of importance to your words. So you should not just be reckless the way he is. Yesterday, or two days ago, it was uh, morning tweets attacking CNN. Yesterday, morning tweets on flag burning. This morning, morning tweets on Peter. Well, he just, just, just tweeted out during the break. I will be holding a major news conference in New York City with my children on December 15th to discuss the fact that I will be leaving my great businesses in total in order to fully focus on running the country in order to f- make America great again. So so is this the way we are going to get news from the president of the United States in the next administration? David Jackson, White House correspondent yes, for USA the Today. The answer to question is yes. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, that tweet storm is, is in progress at the end of that second tweet, Peter. He says, while I am not mandated. I know. No, there's, there, there's more coming. What we is, don't know what it is. More, I'm sorry. Coming. What is it, David, he says? What? He says he's not mandated to do any of that. He, he argues that the law really doesn't apply to him when it comes to conflict of interest. So I guess he's going to say he's not mandated to 
separate himself from his business, but he's going to do so for the good of the country, all that kind of stuff. By the way, By the way we also are on the news. He's, he's going to announce a Nunchen appointment just any minute now. So that's another thing that's going on. Uh, Stephen Munchen as the Treasury Secretary and uh, Wilbur, Wilbur Ross as Commerce, right? Right. And also I'm told that uh, Todd Ricketts is going to be Deputy Commerce Secretary, which is interesting because... A, Ricketts is the co-owner of the Chicago Cubs. But B, the Ricketts family was really anti-Trump during the primary. So oh, man. So still were, uh... but they support How do you all feel about that Cubs win now? Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, they supported him during the during the general, though, didn't they? Yeah. They did. They did. They did. But they were, I guess they were cruise people. But they were, some of their ads are pretty tough. And Trump threatened the Ricketts family. Remember that tweet <laughs> where he said that uh, the, some people need to look at their business? Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, oh, God, there's so much to talk about, David. Uh well, let's take a quick. Uh, uh, let, no, let's continue with this theme. So, does this mean are are there going to be? What do you think? Are there going to be regular press briefings under the Trump administration? <laughs> that's a good question. I think so. I think that's why they want Kellyanne Conway to take the press secretary's job because they figure she would be good at the podium. So, but I do think they're planning to do press. Reportedly, she's turned it down. Um, uh, yeah, and uh, I think they're still trying to talk her into it. There's a lot of lot of drama surrounding Kellyanne Conway right now, and I think part of it is I think, I think they really want her to be press secretary. I don't think they've interviewed anyone else for the job. So well, she I did do. A, she's done a good job for them in the media. You have to right. Admit. So right. But uh, this idea of communicating, you know, we've seen President Obama who communicates very formally and, and through a very you know well organized process, either through Josh Ernest or. A written statement or a news conference very occasionally, right, or with pool reporters. I mean, Donald Trump, is he going to continue, do you believe, to just be tweeting out all the time? I'm sure, I suspect he is going to be tweeting out all the time. And uh, for, as far as news conferences, you know, no, I'm, I'm frankly, I'm surprised he's doing this this, this blind trust business in a news conference. Although we'll see if he, you know, his his, his definition of news conference differs from some right. of our others. Yeah. There's no guarantee he'll take questions at this alleged news conference. So it's... Uh, it's all very, you know, it's it's all very murky territory, and we we just don't know. But I would expect many, I would expect many fewer news conferences than even President Obama did. Right now, what do you make of last night's dinner? Was it with <laughs> Mitt Romney? Uh, was it purely for show, or do you think he's serious? I think he's semi-serious. I can't really fathom it because I think Trump himself likes Romney. Likes the idea of having Romney as Secretary of State, but everyone around him is arguing against it for various reasons. Some are just, with some, it's just political because Romney is so critical of Trump. But others point out that Romney has very different views than Trump when it comes to foreign policy, particularly on Russia. So a lot of people around Trump don't understand how it would work. But Trump himself uh, seems enamored of the idea. Although I still think, I think the tide's kind of running against Romney last night. In fact, it wouldn't have surprised me if Romney pulled out of the race last night, but he didn't. I mean, he did talk to the press, but he t- he said very flattering things about Donald Trump. But at this point, I, 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 it would surprise me if he went with Romney. But you never know. What do we know about Munchen and um, uh, and Wilbur Ross, other than the fact that they are fellow billionaires? Um, That's pretty much it. Munchen was his campaign finance chair yeah. during the campaign. He's very close. I think Munchen's been at Trump Tower just about every day. He may be his closest aide. He may be one of the closest advisors Trump has. Is so that right? I think, we don't yeah, the Treasury Secretary. That, that, that's, that's been in the cake for, for weeks, so that's yeah. no surprise at all. Wilbur Ross, he knows well, and Ross also co-authored this infrastructure plan that I think they're going to go with. and involves a lot of private financing of new infrastructure projects, so I think that's Ross's entry into the administration. Uh, it is interesting that Munchen and Ross, Betsy DeVos also, 
uh, and of course Donald Trump, all the billionaire club, right in New York. Right. Um, and Mitt Romney's no, uh, <laughs> he's no, not exactly he's not, small change, no. right, when no, it comes to no. Mitt Romney's wealth. Right? Well, I don't even know how Trump himself stacks up against these guys, but of course we don't since he won't release his tax returns. But uh, it's, it's quite interesting. I don't, I don't think he's as wealthy as some of these other guys. <clears throat> Who, Donald Trump? Really? Yeah. Yeah. I'm not sure he is. I'm not sure he, you know, uh, a lot of people won't call him a billionaire because they're just not positive. I mean, yeah. there's a lot of people who feel like he's worth much less than he lets on. It's almost like he's not worth the amount of money that he claims to be worth, David. Yeah, well, <laughs> some say, but here again, we'll never know because he won't release his tax return. Uh, yeah. It's been a while she's, since uh, she's been in, the founder of Citizens for Responsibility and Ethics, otherwise known as CREW, now ahead of Summer Strategies, which she also founded, and a government ethics expert. Melanie Sloan is back. Hi, Melanie. Hi, so nice to be with you again. Uh, so let's talk about Donald Trump's conflicts of interest. He's been busy kind of assembling his cabinet. Uh, at the same time, he has met with developers from India about building a new Trump hotel. He's met with developers from the Philippines about building a new Trump hotel. They've given a great big tour down here to his new hotel just down the street on Pennsylvania Avenue from for foreign diplomats saying, basically, if you want to be in good with the new administration, have your meetings here. Put your people up here. Right. I mean, can he get away with that? And isn't this a blatant conflict of interest? Well, it absolutely is a blatant conflict of interest. There's no question about that. And there's no question that if he was any other federal uh, executive branch employee, he couldn't get away with it. But because he is the president of the United States, the president-elect, he's exempt from the conflict statutes. He and the vice president are exempt from the, the, from the statutes. Um, Why were they written that way? Uh, you know, it was viewed that the president had to be free uh, uh, to act in any way he saw fit. So... There was this argument that he needed to be exempt, and it was um, uh, the exemption was added in 1989. Uh, it was the original statute that came in 1948. It's been around since then, but in uh, 1989, it was specifically exempt. He was specifically exempted, although in 1974, there had been a memo written at the Department of Justice suggesting that it was unconstitutional for the president to be bound by the conflicts of interest statutes. But the president is not above the law. Well, here's the thing. Right? Yes, of course, the president is not above the law. And even though... As we've learned. <laughs> um, uh, even though the statutes uh, do exempt him, every president has uh, obeyed the conflict of interest laws. They've all, um, they've all followed them. Uh, Jimmy Carter got rid of his peanut farm. I mean, people do get rid of things, and they, they do put their assets in blind trusts. Um, if you look at other uh, top officials, like when Henry Paulson, who was Bush, Bush's uh, Treasury Secretary, came in, and he had a lot of Goldman Sachs stock, he sold all of that in order to be um, in be Treasury Secretary. Um, we've seen people who like became the Secretary of Defense, for example, once even had to sell off his Pepsi stock because... Um, he, Pepsi is served on military bases. So the conflict statutes are very strict as applied to other people, but not, by the way, Congress either. They don't apply to Congress people either. You know what I think is They so don't apply to Congress either? No. No, members of Congress have exempted themselves also from the same exemption. <laughs> but how about these people that write the books? And uh, didn't Jim Wright get thrown out of speaker? Well, right? here's the thing. Yes, there are, but the, they have ethics rules. So the House and Senate have oh, ethics I, rules. I, I and see, so while yeah. they're not technically follow, it, uh, obliged to follow the statutes, there are ethics rules in the House and Senate that prohibit them from doing something that uh, 
benefits their personal financial interests and they would have an ethics problem in the House or Senate if they did that. Okay. I, I think I think during the campaign, especially during the debates, we get a little peek into the, the warped vision that Trump has of, uh, of how he fits into American politics. When Hillary Clinton would say, you know, this is where you didn't pay taxes. We know you didn't pay taxes on this. This is not good. He says, it was legal. If you didn't like it, you should have fixed the law. If you didn't like this open, openly grifting and corruption, you should have changed the law. It's not my fault that I'm a, that I'm a, essentially doing something that looks awfully criminal. Right. You should have fixed it. And so, in some sense... This is a continuation. This is just like him carrying yeah. that on. Right. right. All right. So, to deal with these conflicts, uh, I wrote a column about it. Other people have written about it as well. Uh, Donald Trump has suddenly, this morning, popped up, and he is addressing this on Twitter... Peter, the latest, the, the, Melanie, these tweets came out in 10 minutes ago. Yeah, so a series of tweets from Donald Trump. I'll be holding a major news conference in New York City with my children on December 15th to discuss the fact that I will be leaving my great businesses in order, in, to, in total, in order to fully focus on running the country, in order to make America great again. While I am not mandated to do this under the law, I feel it is visually important as president to in no way have a conflict of interest with my various businesses. Hence, legal documents are being crafted, which take me completely out of the business operations. The presidency is a far more important task. All right. So he says he's stepping totally aside from his businesses and turning everything over to his kids. Does this... No, it doesn't even come close to solving the problem. It's ridiculous. <laughs> it's just like something else he's doing for TV and Twitter. It's not actually solving the problem. A true blind trust is one in which you have absolutely no control and no communications over it, no knowledge of the identity of specific assets held in it, and a trust manager operates completely independently. Does anybody really think Trump's children are not going to be communicating with Donald Trump about what's going on with those businesses and that Donald Trump is going to have absolutely no say in any of that? Trump has told us over and over, like, this is the most important thing to him. It's not actually running the country. It's running Trump, the Trump organization. And from the day after he was elected, he started having people, developers, come in and yeah. talk about new Trump hotels. You would think at that point he'd really be focusing on the transition that he wasn't expecting to be engaged in. But no, he's... So there's no... There's there's no way in the world that by having the children uh, cover it, he's going to suddenly be completely out of it in a way that would meet the um, rules of what a blind trust is. And this is why both Senator Ben Cardin have introduced a resolution and uh, Representative Catherine Clark in the House has introduced a bill to try and force presidents and vice presidents to sort out their conflicts. It's called the President, uh, Presidential Accountability Act, and it would require them to put their assets in a blind trust or disclose to the Office of Government Ethics when decisions are made that would affect their personal finances. Hey, everybody, this is Bill Press. Thanks for listening to the Bill Press and Friends podcast. And now do yourself a favor. If you haven't already done so, subscribe to the show on iTunes. Here's what you do. Just search for the Bill Press show. Then you can take us with you and listen in anywhere you go. And you'll get new shows from us as soon as they're posted. And one more thing. If you really enjoy Bill Press and Friends, please help us grow by telling a friend, writing a review, and giving us a rating on iTunes. It's so great to have you on board. Many thanks. To talk about the tweets and what this all might mean for democracy, 
Ned Resnikoff is the senior editor at Think Progress joining us. Hello, Ned. Nice to see you. Hello. Thank you for uh, being part of the team here this morning. So, Peter, what's the latest here? All right. So he woke up this morning tweeting. Uh, first of all, he tweeted about ISIS taking credit for the uh, Ohio State University attack. Uh, he blames on a Somali refugee who should not have been in this country. But then he launched into a big major announcement. He's going to be holding a major news conference in New York City uh, with his kids on December 15th. He says two uh, weeks from now. Yeah. Yeah. He says uh, to discuss the fact that I will be leaving my great business in total in order to fully focus on running the country in order to make America great again. While I am not mandated to do this under the law, I feel it is visually important as president to in no way have a conflict of interest with my various businesses. Hence, legal documents are being crafted which take me completely out of business operations. The presidency is a far more important task. Uh, that was so 35 th- minutes th- ago. Th- the thrust of this morning's tweets, yesterday's tweets were about the American flag. The day before were about attacking CNN. Uh, Ned, you've been writing about these, that there it may be a, a more ominous implications of all of these tweets? Yeah, um, so uh, my, my article was about how uh, Donald Trump lies and why he lies and uh, why he tweets the way he does. Um, I, I think the, the tendency is to see his tweets as completely erratic and random, but uh, I think there's a good reason to believe that there's a specific strategy behind them. It's it's not just uh, about... You don't think he's just firing off whatever thought comes to his head at a, at a particular time? I think it's a little bit of column A, a little bit of column B. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. probably fair. I mean, the, the thing is, uh, I mean, there, there are two data points we should keep in mind. One is that he managed to take over a major political party with no organization and no money and then win the presidency. So there's clearly something going on there. Right. Uh, the other one is that he has very, very savvy advisors, and I'm thinking in particular of uh, Steve Bannon, who uh, in a Hollywood Reporter article from uh, a couple weeks ago was quoted basically outlining the, the broad contours of, of the strategy I'm about to talk about when he said that uh, he likes to operate in the darkness. He likes yeah. to operate in the darkness where people won't see or understand what he's doing. And these these tweets, the sort of random uh, the the random falsehoods that the Trump campaign puts out, the fact that no one seems to quite understand what's going on in the transition team with all of these meetings happening with people like Dan Quayle. Um, yeah, these are all about creating that darkness, creating that confusion. So, uh, and and is Mitt Romney part of that darkness and confusion? Uh, yeah, I believe so. I mean, I think one of the one of the things that uh, sort of shows how easy it is to play the media uh, is this sort of uh, uh, fight between Mitt Romney and Kellyanne Conway. I mean, it's it's mostly a one sided fight, but it, it's interesting to me the way that it's being covered totally uncritically. Like there's some sort of uh, tension between Conway and and Trump, and she's playing the outside game against Romney and. That might be the case, but the fact of the matter is we don't really know. And this looks suspiciously like uh, essentially a, a, a conflict on a reality show. It's about it's about sort of generating conflict to generate more ambiguity so that no one can really uh, know for sure or prepare for who's going to be a member of the cabinet. But you take it a step further. I mean, that these are not just... Uh... Uh, kind of maybe un- unpresidential, all these tweets and everything, but you you call it in your article uh, an assault on democracy. Yeah. Um, so that's serious. I and, and I if think so, so, how so? 
So uh, one of the one of the people I go to in the article to sort of uh, draw on comparisons is uh, actually um, an advisor to Vladimir Putin by the name of Vladislav Surkov, who uh, sort of came up with this concept that he calls nonlinear warfare, which I, I think that uh, if Trump and Bannon are not deliberately taking it from, and I think they're, it's likely that Bannon has heard of Surkov, but um, even if not, then there are certainly similarities. And uh, what what Surkov uh, does is, uh, first of all, he uses this sort of like darkness strategy. Um, he tries to make sure that uh, no one quite understands what the Putin regime is doing at any given time or why. But uh, the reason why it has very disturbing implications is because it's all connected to this idea that Surkov calls managed democracy. And the idea is that you give people venues for expression, but you also keep in a constant state of confusion where no one can yeah. actually agree on what's happening. And because no one can agree on what's happening, then uh, the sort of political decisions that other people make, not just the president, but everyone else, are based on totally arbitra arbitrary information, um, decisions that don't really connect to any sort of real cause and effect. Uh, and, and so uh, Surkov says that um, when that uh, the only real freedom in a managed democracy is is basically artistic freedom it's self-expression and so that's what politics for basically anyone who's not the president becomes it's a sort of like self-expression mm -hmm. um and that's and that's the issue here that you know like uh in in the same way i think you're seeing this this situation where trump has very cleverly positioned himself so that opposition to him from the media or from a lot of other places uh is essentially just a form of a form of venting spleen but <laughs> but because it's impossible to tell what he's doing it's hard to stop it so there's more it's um, really well said yeah that th th there's more strategy and more of um deliberate intent behind mm -hmm. this tweet storm you think than just being random yeah well I, Part of part of the uh, part of the problem with the randomness is it's hard to tell what percentages yeah. is intent, what, uh, what is random. My, if I had to make a guess, I would say that it's it's mainly uh, Bannon capitalizing on a natural inclination in the way Trump talks and the way he. But we should also remember that Trump has you know been a businessman for a long time and and it's a sort of a. a I mean, I, I cited Surkov because I think in some ways this is a new as a political phenomenon, but just as like a basic sort of strategic uh, um, fundamental when you're a businessman, like trying to obscure your intentions well, he's is... he's not just a businessman, but he's a showman, right? Yeah. I mean, he's a TV producer. He's a yeah, TV mm -hmm. reality star, right? Who knows how to... That this whole... We were talking about this yesterday. The whole transition, the way he's handled it, has been a page right out of The Apprentice, right? You know, and... and mm -hmm. uh, uh, it, including last night's yeah. dinner at uh, Jean Georges. That was know. like the season finale of the Secretary of State sweepstakes. Yeah. Of parading right. Mitt Romney out in front of everybody mm -hmm. to maybe offer him a job. Here on the Hill, a busy day today, a big day uh, for the Democrats because uh, the vote. That was delayed for two weeks for leadership in the Democratic caucus, House Democratic Caucus takes place today. What can we expect to happen? Daniel Newhauser is congressional reporter for the National Journal, joins us on our news line this morning. Daniel, good to have you with us. 
Hey, Bill. Thanks for having me on. So the big vote. What's what, what's what? What can we expect to happen today? Is uh, Nancy Pelosi in trouble? You know, I, I don't think, and I could be wrong, but I, I really do not think that she's going to lose today. She's already said she has the support of two thirds of the caucus. Uh, something like 80 members, by last count, have already come out and said that they support her. And her challenger, Congressman Tim Ryan of Ohio, has only uh, 12 or so public supporters, although, you know, the, the, the campaign says that there could be more that are scared to, to come out publicly because, uh, you know, the word uh, of retaliation by Nancy Pelosi. But, but I think the bottom line is, you know, there's a, there's a lot of frustration. Democrats just went through a traumatic election, uh, but uh, it, it looks like they're going to reelect Nancy Pelosi pretty handily. It is a, um, uh, a secret ballot, correct? That's right. So, you know, at the end of the day, you never actually know what's going to happen on a secret ballot. You know, there could be a lot of people just just like the Trump election who say, uh, <laughs> you know, well, we hate Trump, but then vote for him anyways. People could be saying, well, we love Pelosi, but they'll vote against her anyways. Uh, but, but you know, that's that's what we're all waiting to see. Uh, if that is a, a phenomenon that's about to happen, I would be extremely surprised. Uh, but, uh, you know, nevertheless, the, the vote tally will be very instructive about how exactly how deep the frustration is with Pelosi and uh, with the fact that she's been Democratic leader for 14 years. And, and the criticism is that she just doesn't let uh, doesn't let younger members, junior members uh, come up and have much say or, or much room for advancement. Uh, there is also the fact that Democrats who needed to win 30 seats to take back the House this year, um, a week before the, well, just a couple of days before November 8, uh, the last time Tim Ryan was on our program, mm -hmm. uh, he admitted that they weren't going to get 30, but he thought they might get 15. Yep. Uh, it turns out Democrats only won six. Yeah. And yet, and this is one of the uh, issues I know, um, Nancy Pelosi has turned around and renominated Ben Luhan from New Mexico, uh, who was the DCCC chair in the last, the, this last, well, this year, the last right. two years, right. uh, for another term, even though he only won six seats and Democrats didn't win back the House. That's got a lot of people um, concerned as well, right? That, that's definitely an issue. And, and one of the things that Tim Ryan said at his campaign is that he's going to make the DCCC uh, position an elected position rather than an, an appointed position so that there would be accountability. Uh, but uh, Pelosi uh, really doesn't seem to have much interest in, in loosening her grip on power. She did uh, say that there were going to be a couple of other uh, positions that she would create for junior members and make them elected instead of appointed, uh, but, but not with the DCCC. Uh, and, uh, you know, I mean, I mean, the knock on, on Pelosi from, from Ryan is that uh, she's partially to blame for the Democrats' losses, that, that she didn't do enough uh, to, you know, to, to make their message a national message that would resonate with uh, particularly with white working class voters. And, and a big criticism is that she's so reviled in a lot of these districts that she can't even go there. She can't go to southern districts. So, you know, she doesn't travel to uh, to places where uh, there was there'd really be swing state, uh, you know, elect elections. Uh, whereas a guy like Tim Ryan, he says could. There's uh, also so, yeah yeah go ahead go ahead. Well, also some reports that there's unrest in the uh, congressional Black Caucus, which has always been 
very, very loyal to Nancy Pelosi, and uh, she's had a very strong, very strong support there. What's that all about? What are, what's that unhappiness about? Well, well, here's the thing with with the CBC is uh, when they when they get power, they do not want to give it up, uh, and that's of course because uh, you know they're they're worried that uh, that their members would be pushed out in favor of you know white members and so on and so forth. So when they hear things like term limits and um, elected positions rather than appointed, what they think is, well, we're not going to have some one of our own at the table uh-huh. eventually. So one of the one of the things that Pelosi um, uh, suggested was turning the assistant to the leader position into an elected position that's meant to be filled by a member with less than five terms of service. Well, who sits in that position right now? James Jim, Clyburn. Jim Clyburn, exactly. Who is? The, the uh, senior member of the Congressional Black Caucus, the only member of the Congressional Black Caucus at the leadership table. Uh, so they don't like that idea, um, and, and they don't like all this talk. They have, they have a couple of committee chairmen or ranking, member, ranking members like Maxine Water, Benny, uh, Benny Thompson at Homeland Security, and you know they want to keep it that way uh, because they've historically been disenfranchised in the halls of, of power. Uh, so they don't like any kind of talk of, of you know, uh, empowering younger members and and uh, and term limits and that kind of stuff. The Parting Shot with Bill Press. This is the Bill Press Show. Well, someday people will learn that elections have consequences. We certainly learned that yesterday when Donald Trump named as the new HHS Secretary Congressman Tom Price, the number one enemy of Obamacare. Price, a doctor himself, fought Obamacare every step of the way in Congress. Then he led 65 different votes in the House to repeal it. Now he'll finally have his chance. Now, we know Obamacare is not perfect, but still... 20 million people have signed up for it. Tom Price doesn't care. He'll throw them all out in the cold and leave them one of three alternatives. Sink thousands of dollars, which they don't have, in a health savings account, go to the emergency room, or simply die. The end result, some 50 million Americans will be without health insurance at all. I don't know about you, but I don't believe that's what Donald Trump was talking about when he said we're going to make America great again. My party shout for today. Folks, have a great Wednesday. Come back and see us again tomorrow. This is the Bill Press Show. Why? Why? If you have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion. 